0: So I recently um, started reading a little bit more about Teddy Roosevelt, right? So, former president, that's the Teddy Roosevelt I'm talking about. Um, It's just like, this guy had an incredible life. Uh, If you've ever read anything or studied anything about Teddy Roosevelt and his life, he started out his life, he was, as a kid, he, um, by all accounts, he was a really sick kid. He was a really weak kid. He was a really scared kid. He just was afraid of everything. And he talks about this. He's like, I scared of my own shadow that I would not do. And also, he was incapable of doing almost anything physical. And so as like an elementary school age kid, he just decided, I don't want to live like this. Like, I, I found my, I'm i weak and I don't want to be weak anymore. So if um, I'm going to train my body. And so he started doing this. He's like, I'm sick. And I don't want to be sick anymore. So if something like people say, well, that's going to make you sick, I'm just going to do it anyways. To see, see how bad, how bad could it be anyways. He said, I'm afraid and I don't want to be afraid anymore. So if something scared him, he decided that I'm going to do that thing. And because he just lived this life like this, he just ended up living this incredible, incredible life. Not only his body, right, he also trained his mind. Um, The legend is, the story is, that he would read a book a day before breakfast and then three books throughout the rest of the day, even while he was President of the United States. He, a couple things, uh, he, uh, that just blows my mind. I'm like, what kind of books? Like comic books? Because I can do that. I can do that for sure, I've done that. Um, But as he became a man, he uh, joined the military and one of the things he did—he was part of the Rough Riders, right? So in Cuba, he led the charge in the Battle of San Juan Hill, like basically almost single-handedly um, turning the tide of the entire war. He, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor after he died. Like no one gets that. Imagine awarding a president of the United States. The Congressional Medal of Honor, that's the kind of bravery this man had. He did more to establish uh, national parks in our country, to preserve land so that we could, you know, have the parks. Um, at one point, there's one story about him, that he, was, he was at a, went to a rally in Milwaukee, and he got shot, which makes sense to all of us who know about, like, the dangers of Milwaukee. Um, he's about to give a speech, you know, Wisconsinites, you guys, you can't, you can't trust them. Um, Roosevelt knew that. He get, went up to give a speech. He gets shot on his way to give the speech. It penetrated like his the, the copy of the speech and lodged into his ribs. He gave the speech ninety minutes with his bullet lodged in his rib cage. And when he got done, he said, "Okay, now you can take me to the hospital." And he actually ended up living with that bullet in his rib cage until the day he died, years and years and years later. All these accomplishments, he was, he was the youngest uh, person ever, even including up to today, ever sworn into office. 42 years old when he became President of the United States. Um, so one of these things, he was, sorry, last one, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. So, you know, when you hear all these things, this incredible life, this incredible human being, one of the things that almost always comes up is like, well, oh, yeah, he has to be the best then, Right. I don't know if you ever talk about, like, your favorites, like, when it comes to, like, presidents. Like, well, yeah, clearly, Roosevelt was the best. Or, no, 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 Lincoln was the best. No, Washington was the best. You have all these people that, at some point, we want to, no matter what they did, we want to, like, kind of rank them. And then to realize that we could rank them, and it doesn't take anything away from them. But once you start ranking, it actually starts stealing. What I mean by that is, um, see, Roosevelt knew this. Like he knew that that no matter what he did, there was always a potential thief. That no matter what he did, no matter what he accomplished, no matter what, what he did with his life, whether going from a you know a sickly child to a strong man, from a someone who didn't know much, to someone who was incredibly intelligent, to someone who didn't was afraid of stuff, to someone who was unafraid of things. No matter what he did, there was always going to be a thief that was lurking around the corner, and that thief could steal every ounce of joy from his accomplishments from his life. That thief could rob him of the pleasure that he took in actually living a really great life. And that thief is the same thief that every single one of us we face every single day. Roosevelt said it like this. He named it. He said that thief is comparison. Roosevelt said he said comparison is the thief of joy. Because you can think about someone like him who could do all these incredible things, but then someone starts to compare, or even he starts to compare, and all those things that he did that were excellent all of a sudden become less excellent because comparison ends up being the thief of joy. This is true for us as Christians too, as followers of Christ. You know, Jesus has so many promises that we get as, as, as his disciples. He promises peace and he promises gentleness. He promises that we get patience. He promises that we get, grow in humility. One of the things Jesus promises is that we, he actually promises us joy. And so here's the big question is, wait a second. If Jesus promises us joy, why are so few of us filled with joy? Like, honestly, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus promises his disciples that you'll have my joy in you. It will be complete if Jesus promises that. Why do so few of us actually experience an abundance of joy? Because there's things that steal joy. Things like sin, obviously. Anxiety steals joy. A living off-purpose steals joy. But I think that almost nothing steals joy more than what Teddy Roosevelt described. I think it's absolutely impossible to live a life of joy if we allow comparison into our hearts and this actually is in the gospel today I don't know if you caught this the two people go up to pray the Pharisee the tax collector and what is the Pharisee's entire prayer based off of it's completely based off of comparison and and, and this is this is why this is so serious because not only is comparison the thief of joy what does Jesus say about the one who prayed based off of comparison he didn't just lose joy Jesus said one went home justified, the other went home not justified, which means that actually the price of comparison is not merely losing joy. It could even mean losing your soul. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start a a new series today. Because I think this is so serious and I think this is in so many of our hearts, this spirit of comparison. That's what we're launching today. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this, but it's not going to be just like comparison, compara, S-O-N. We're clever here. So it's compara-sin, Get it? I came up with that on my own. So many months ago, you guys, I was so excited. I'm like, I wrote it down five times. I'm like, this is the best. I'm so clever. But, so this series on comparison, because it doesn't just rob us of joy, it, it could rob us of our very lives. So what is comparison? Well, here's a quick, quick thing. It can be tricky sometimes to define comparison because um, some of us act as if avoiding comparison would be the same thing as avoiding greatness. That some of us are like actually the way, the only reason I'm at the place I'm at right now in my life, like I've accomplished great things, is because of comparison. Because I don't know if you know this about me, Father, but I'm kind of a competitive person. I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a very competitive person. But I'm saying giving up comparison is not the same thing as giving up a desire for greatness. That's not the same thing at all. And comparison also, it it does. I'm not saying that all comparisons are bad. That's coming up in about three weeks. Um, there are some comparisons that are very very good for us. In fact. Um, Some of you know the developmental psychologist Eric Erickson. Eric Erickson had this theory that we can actually only only know ourselves by comparing ourselves to the people around us. We can actually only know ourselves by being in relationship to the people around us where we meet people like, oh yeah, I'm kind of like that. I can see something in you that's in myself. Or I'm not like you. I can see something in you that I I don't share. And we actually come to a a degree of self-knowledge. We come to understand who we are by healthy comparison. We find out where we're standing. I mean, think about like a map, right? Um, you can only find your place on a map by comparing the map to the, your surroundings. So not, again, not all comparisons are bad. We can find ourselves in relationship, but this is the thing, is the cost of community, that cost of relationship, the cost of community always runs the risk of comparison. That if we're going to be in community, if we're going to be in a relationship, it always runs the risk of comparison. Say, okay, so, so what is comparison? Here's the, the thing. What is comparison? Um, my pal C.S. Lewis says it like this. When he's, he's talking about pride, but it's the same thing. Lewis says pride or comparison is not taking joy, not taking pleasure in being smart. Sometimes people think that's what pride is. That's what, you know, comparison is like just taking joy um, in being smart, taking uh, pride in in being beautiful. Lewis says uh, uh, pride or comparison is not taking joy in being funny. It's not taking joy in being loved by people. That's all good. And those are all good things to be smart, to be beautiful, to be be funny, to be loved. Those are all good things. That's, but none of those things are pride. He says pride is taking joy in being smarter than someone else. Like, I'm not just happy because I'm smart. I'm happy because I'm smarter than you. It's taking joy in being funnier than someone else. It's taking joy in being more beautiful than someone else. It's taking joy in being more loved than someone else. Lewis says, he says, pride or comparison is essentially competitive. And so we recognize that comparison will always have at the very heart of it is going to be fear. At the heart of this bad kind of comparison is always going to be fear. And it's the fear that I might find someone who has more of this than I do. I might find someone who is more of this than I am. And that fear is, your more automatically means my less. But to imagine this, to live with that, to live like that, means that every person I meet is a potential threat. Like if we let that comparison to live inside of us and we allow it to take up residence. That means that every single person we meet is a potential threat because you might actually be funnier than I am. You might be more beautiful than I am. You might be more of whatever it is I want to be. Whatever it is I see myself as being. And every single person is a potential threat. But it gets even worse than that because it's not just about like, um, actually if we realize not everyone is a potential threat. Now but obviously we have like media and we have social media and there's some comparison things that happen like where you go, you know, scroll through Instagram and You're like, well, I don't do that. I don't do that And you just jumped off a building and that was amazing and you flew away on a little sky suit wingsuit. Have you ever seen those? It's amazing you guys. Oh, um, but it's not that it's not necessarily comparison comparing ourselves to celebrities guys My guess is men gentlemen, my guess is you don't wake up and go like oh man Ryan Reynolds is so handsome I hate that guy. Like we've don't we do not we don't necessarily compare ourselves to people or ladies, you're probably not like, oh Scarlett Johansson, I hate her stinking hair, I wish she went bald. Like you're not We typically don't compare ourselves to those who are far away from us, maybe a little bit. Most often though, we compare ourselves to those who are closest to us. Like the kind of comparison that we fall into that like can destroy our hearts and like wring our hearts are not those people who are far away. They're the ones who are closest. In fact, they can be the ones who are most like us. I'd even say it like this. I think sometimes the people we compare ourselves the hardest against are those people that if comparison wasn't there, they might be our best friends. So why does that live in us? And what do you do with it? Well, you know, and here's the thing is, the reason why we're gonna do a whole series on it is because I just keep seeing it again and again. I keep seeing it with so many people, and it doesn't matter because it keeps pro- cropping up. It might be like, well, I'm smart, you know? Well, yeah, but now I'm in med school and now everyone's smart. <laughs> well, I work really, really hard. Well, now I'm in my job and everyone works really, really hard. And like I thought that I was the big, the, the king on campus back home in high school, but now, oh my gosh, like everyone here has this. So what do I do with that? In fact, I would even say like it happens not just in relationships, it doesn't just happen with school and work. It, actually, it happens in church. And I've seen it too many times. I've seen it for people who are like, I sometimes kind of go to Sunday Mass. But I've never been over to the Newman House because that seems like, I don't know, they just, they seem like, I don't know, they're just holier than I am. And so then I end up resenting those people who go to daily Mass. And you invite me to go to daily Mass, but I feel bad about myself because I don't want to go to daily Mass. And like, it it, it snowballs because this comparison thing I go down. Or even like, this happens, it's crazy, you guys. There are people who go to daily Mass who end up comparing themselves to people who go to daily Mass and lead a Bible study. Oh, I'm not doing what they're doing. Hate that guy. People who go to daily mass and lead a Bible study who compare themselves against people who are go to daily mass, lead a Bible study, and are on the leadership team here. Like, it sounds like, oh my gosh, you guys, stop being buttheads. Honestly, that comes up in my, you guys, oh my gosh, it's been so many years I've been reflecting on this. I see it again and again. And whenever I see it and someone's like, well, I just hate because someone else is better than me. I'm like, just stop. Being a butthead—that is what comes up, and then it kept coming up like every single time I saw it. And then something happened a couple weeks ago. Because as I said, I've been, I've been like working on this, reflecting on this, and like saying, like, no, I am so free from comparison. It's ridiculous, you guys. You have no idea how much I don't care what you think. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A couple weeks ago, um, I had to go out of town, and so. One of our missionaries has a priest who's a, fr- a friend who's a priest who came to fill in for me. And his name's Father Zach. Awesome guy. When I met him, I'm just like, you seem like an awesome guy. And he turned out he was an awesome guy. Like he just seemed like not only a stellar human being, a really good man, also seemed like, I think you're a really good priest. Turns out he, not only a stellar human being, really good man, awesome human being, awesome priest. And of course, people like when that when he showed up, he's like 6'4, and I'm like, wow, Father, he's way taller than you. I'm like, listen, I'm over that. <laughs> That is no longer a wound you can hurt me with. (laughs) I stopped growing at 17. I'm I'm shrinking now. I'm fine. I fit okay into airplane seats. Poor Father Zach with his six-foot-four frame will never be comfortable on an airplane like I will always be comfortable on an airplane. (laughs) So I'm fine with that. It doesn't hurt me at all. That's not the comparison. Father Zach grows an awesome beard. Listen, I'm working on it. All these things. And I was so grateful. I left, and he took care of things, and it was awesome. I was so grateful for him. And then I came back to, t- back to town, and some people were like, oh, my gosh, Father, it was incredible to have Father Zach here. He just brought us so much healing. And I just felt a little, oh. Yeah, and he just gave us, he was so wise, gave us so much wisdom. Like, mm. <laughs> And he just, he just loved us really, really well. Like, okay, enough. Like, And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm the butthead. (laughs) The butthead is in me. Because it wasn't something I wanted. I was like, no, I like this guy. I want to rejoice in him. But there's something like, but you're telling me that, wait, he brought you more healing than I was able to bring. (laughs) He was wiser than I was able to offer. Like, listen, you don't understand. I read books too, not just comic books. That was a joke earlier. (laughs) Yes, he loves you, but you guys don't understand. I love you so much, like, it's, but it's, it's absolutely true. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is in me. I have this comparison, but it's unchosen comparison. And my first response is, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, the reverse reflex. When you have that like, pain of comparison, you're like, I don't want this. Sometimes what we end up doing is we end up accusing ourselves. We end up like, kind of ganging up on ourselves and saying, just stop it, you know, sh- shove it down, shove it down, suppress it. That doesn't work, so please don't do that. <laughs> When you have unchosen comparison, here's what you can do. And we're going to talk about chosen comparison in just a second. But when you have unchosen comparison, here's what you can do. Number one, be patient. Like, just be patient with yourself. Like, give yourself grace. Now, I could argue with myself and say, Father Mike, you shouldn't be feeling this. Like, but I, I maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. I do. You can tell yourself, don't feel this way. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. The reality is, you do. So be patient with yourself. Give yourself grace and say, that's, that's what I've found in my heart because it's nothing new. I mean, oh my gosh, you guys, go back to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 4, the fourth chapter of the very first book, the entire Bible, you have the story, right, of the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. What is the second sin in all of creation? The first sin is Adam and Eve, right? They doubt, they distrust the Father's love for them, so they eat the fruit. The very next sin in the entire Bible is Abel's sacrifice is accepted from God and Cain's sacrifice is not accepted from God. And so what does Cain do? He ends up resenting his brother. He ends up comparing his self. He ends up comparing the love God has for him and the the love God has for his brother. See, if you find that inside yourself, it doesn't do any good to beat yourself up. It's just like, okay, Lord, I'll be patient with myself. This is here. It's so important. Here's what not to do. As I already said, don't do the suppress thing where you just pretend that it's not there. That will, that will lead you to an explosion later on or actually it'll lead you to a certain kind of bitterness that you'll rarely, rarely be able to escape if you just suppress it. The next thing is, here's what I would do. My temptation, I just, I just let you know, my temptation is to say, okay, let's see who wins. <laughs> I mentioned competitive. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to fight that. My, my temptation is to say, okay, let's see. Let's see who can be the wisest. Let's see you can love. I'll love you so hard. i love you so well. I love you until I die. Like that whole sense of like, but here's the thing. I might be competitive and realize, okay, actually upon taking a closer look at this, I'm losing even worse than I thought. (laughs) They are actually even better than me than I imagined. What would I do then? Or maybe you try and you actually win. You say, I'm going to be better than them. But then what? every person still remains a potential threat. Or we could take the road of Cain. Here's what Cain does. It says in Genesis chapter 4, God speaks to Cain and he says, he says, Cain greatly resented his brother and he was crestfallen. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you so resentful and crestfallen? If you do well, you can hold your head up. But if not, sin is a demon lurking at your door. His urge is toward you, yet you can be his master. So the route of Cain is looks like this. It looks like what a lot of us live. We experience that comparison. It just hurts. So the next step is aversion or like avoidance. Maybe you've done this before. There was someone that you compared yourself to and you came up short. And so instead of like engaging them, you just stayed away from them. Maybe they're a roommate. Maybe it's someone in your class. And you just, like, stop looking at them, stop making eye contact, just kind of avoided them. you ever have this situation where um, you were friends with one person and you are friends with another person and you introduced the two of them and then all of a sudden they became better friends with each other than they are with you? And we end up re- waiting, realizing, wait a second, I'm on the outside of this. And so what that comparison is, I'm going to avoid. But then avoidance or aversion leads to this next thing, which is resentment. And resentment is just the craziest thing. Resentment is, 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 is blaming, here's what resentment is, it's so silly, it's so foolish. Resentment is blaming someone for being themselves. Here's the, here's the person who um, works really hard and does really well, and you're mad at them because they worked hard and did really well. See, none of us want to be that resentful person, right? Like, would it make you, this is the crazy, you can ask yourself, would it make me happier if they weren't as smart? No. Here's someone who is so good and they're so kind and they actually do have really good advice and they have such a big heart and people go to them because they know that they listen. Do, you, do we actually want them to be less of a listener? Do I, do I really want them to be less kind? Do I really want them? You know, this, I resent this person because um, they're praying all the time and I feel bad because I don't pray all the time. Honestly, do you want them to actually pray less? Would that make you happy? This person serves so much, and I feel badly because I don't serve as much as they do. Okay, honestly, answer this question Would you be happy if they served less? I know this about your, you, you. The answer is no. You don't want them to be less. Because you realize that's foolishness when it comes to resentment. I'm blaming them for being themselves. It would not make me happy if their candle just shined a little less brightly. And that avoidance leads to resentment and that resentment we see in Genesis chapter 4 it leads to hatred it leads to ultimately to murder but before murder it leads to this thing called isolation because that's what comparison leads if you've ever been the one who resented if you've ever been the one who compared you know that like oh my gosh this person's getting pushed further and further away but if you've ever been the one who's been compared with you realize it is such a lonely life nobody wins it's one of the reasons why comparison doesn't just cost joy, it costs our soul, because nobody wins. Remember, the cost of community is the risk of comparison. And the result of comparison is the loss of community. I was trying to debate if I was going to share this, but I'm just going to try it. Um, so you might not know this. I Gosh, it sounds weird I say it like this. Um, so... I get a chance a lot of times to get invited out of the city of Duluth and to go um, different places to give talks and stuff, right? Um, so all summer, that's what I do, I, I go to different like, conferences and like during the school year sometimes too. And um, when I go to some of these places, there's a lot, oftentimes a lot of other priests around. And this is really, it sounds silly, but it's really painful for me because, a, okay, I, I'm sorry, I, I, sorry. I realize what I'm sounding like. I'm sounding like, you guys, people love me so much, it's so embarrassing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I go to these places and I feel so alone because I'm looking at all these other priests and I'm seeing them look at me and I'm wondering, do they hate me? Because people are paying attention to me. Within our diocese, you know, Everyone, not everyone, The number of priests were like, hey, Father Mike, I was out in, you know, wherever, and someone was like, oh, you're from Duluth. You know, like Father Mike Schmitz. And I'm always waiting for them to be like, yes, we know him. He's not that great. <laughs> and it's, and I'm not saying feel sorry for myself. I'm saying it's just, it's just isolate. It's just really easy to feel alone in the midst of comparison because that's what happens. It doesn't just isolate when I'm the one comparing. I don't just isolate myself. What happens is I'm taking this person who's just trying to do what they're trying to do and making it so they have no one. So one of the coolest things, the coolest things is in, my, in our diocese, whenever the priests say that, like, oh, it's just in Mississippi or it's just in wherever and, and they're like, hey, do you know Father Mike Schmitz? And they're like, yes. And they're like, oh my gosh, or, I love his videos or I like his podcast, all this kind of stuff. All my brothers, all the brother priests, every time, they say, to me, they say to me, yeah, I told them, yeah, we're so proud of him. Like, we're so proud that he's from our diocese. And I can't tell you, like, what that does to my heart. Because my temptation is to be, feel so alone. But when someone is willing to be vulnerable and say, yeah, he's one of ours. When someone's willing to be vulnerable and, like, actually reach out and say, yeah, we're proud of him. When someone's willing to be vulnerable and say, yeah, he uh, does do a good job when it comes to X, Y, or Z. That's the remedy. This is is the last thing. This is the remedy for um, comparison. It's the remedy for um, resentment. It's the remedy for aversion. It's the remedy for hatred. It's the remedy for isolation. What is it? Vulnerability. That willingness to actually step out of yourself and make yourself vulnerable. To affirm the person who you are jealous of, to build up the person that you see as a threat. To step into the life and say, actually, the life of someone else and say, I claim you. I will actually, you're not alone. The cost of community is the risk of comparison. And the result of comparison is isolation. But the remedy for that isolation is vulnerability. And real vulnerability. creates authentic community. All of us have this comparison, this spirit of comparison in our hearts. And probably we can name some people that we've compared ourselves to in the last 24 hours. And they're probably really close to us right now. But to kill that comparison I just invite us to take the next step, to be patient with ourselves, to refuse resentment, and to answer that temptation to isolation with vulnerability.